This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. And we have some rather sad news. WKAR's Capitol reporter Abigail Sensky is going to be leaving us. Really heartbreaking for me especially. She is going to Kansas, going to make her mark on their state. Abigail, thank you so much for coming to Mishmash to hang out with us before you before you leave us. Thanks for having me on. I'm so happy to be here. Abigail, we wanted to talk about the story that you are working on right now for WKAR about family leave in the state legislature. Why was this an issue that you really wanted to look into and that you thought people would really uh, be interested in? Well, initially, a tweet thread from Democratic Senator Mallory McMorrow, who represents Royal Oak in the state legislature, caught my eye. She is a new first-time mom, and she had a long thread, basically, that she was going to take 12 weeks of maternity leave, but technically, as a state lawmaker, she wasn't eligible for that, even though state workers in the state of Michigan are. And she was kind of detailing the reasons for that and the fact that she considered it a political risk um, because she's potentially missing votes while she's gone and there's no mechanism to proxy vote. So I decided to look into what's happening here and other states across the country. And Abigail, as you've been working on this, you focus not just on lawmakers, but also on their staff. What do members of the Michigan legislature's staff, what is their maternity and paternity leave policies? Yeah, so it's not that 12 weeks paid leave that state workers get. That went into effect, of course, last year. And that was a big change that, you know, Governor Whitmer kind of heralded under her administration. She'd been a big proponent of family leave and parental leave as well. But it's not great for House and Senate employees. They have less time. Somebody familiar with the House policy told me that basically it's six weeks if you're the parent that gave birth to the child in the house and two weeks if you're not the parent that gave birth to the child. And there's a bunch of details about, you know, how much more time you can take and if that's paid or not. But it's not the same. And it's kind of confusing to consider the place where the laws are being made has all of these different policies that you can kind of fall into depending on who's paying your salary in Lansing. And Abigail, you you noted that it's interesting that the place that's making the laws has some of the least progressive family leave policies. Yeah, I think we've kind of seen in the private sector, but also at the federal government as well. I mean, you know, President Donald Trump's daughter, Ivanka Trump, was a huge proponent of parental leave and introduced a new kind of era for federal workers. And That's something that we saw at the state worker level in Michigan, but for other people that hasn't necessarily followed. And I think that's something where the private sector really leads. And depending on who your employer is, oftentimes the public bodies have some of the kind of like slowest changing policies in that area. When we think about... uh maternity leave and paternity leave, we tend to think of it as being an individual person's problem, more or less. But this is something that if if lawmakers, if their staff are not able to get this leave, I mean, that that's something that arguably affects uh, all of us as well. So talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you are an employee or a lawmaker, 
um, who's trying to take this leave. Let's see if you're an employee in the Michigan House and you work for one of our state lawmakers here. If you want to take your six weeks or your two weeks, that's great. But then if you want to take additional time beyond that, you're going to have to take vacation time or unpaid time. And if it's paid time, that still comes out of, you know, the state lawmaker who's paying your salary. So they can't hire somebody else um, or, you know, their budget is going to be thinned out basically and have, you know, fewer people addressing constituent concerns. And it's just kind of an area that I don't think gets the general amount of attention that other things in Lansing get. But like you said, this is a hugely impactful policy from an employee perspective. And I feel like we've talked quite a few times about issues that all come back to to one thread that I keep thinking about in state government, which is why would people want to serve in state government? You know, the there are a lot of aspects of working at the state capitol, whether it's security concerns, COVID protocols, whether it's sexism, racism. I mean, there and I'm not necessarily trying to say that uh, the state capitol is is the only place where a lot of this uh, kind of environment is taking place. But um, I feel like we've talked so much in the last year about the ways that uh, it's not the best work environment. And, and now we're talking about really, really important benefits for people. Um, you know, talk a little bit about that, about the, the fact that if you're trying to get the best people to represent you and work for the people who are representing you, we aren't really set up for that. Yeah. And if you're thinking about, you know, from like a perspective of recruiting talent or at least retaining people, um, that's something that Senator McMorrow brought up when she was talking to me about this. You know, the fact that when before women are even serving in the state legislature or choosing whether or not they want to work for a state lawmaker, they're thinking about, you know, do they want to have children or have a family? Um, That is another barrier to entry. And we do know that, you know, we don't have anywhere close to gender parity if we're just talking in the lens of gender in our state legislatures. Michigan is above the national average, but, you know, we're not in the top 10 states. Um, Just 30, over 35 percent of our state legislature is made up by women, despite the fact that, you know, women make up more than half of the U.S. population. So the fact that you're not kind of catering to a workforce that is representative of the state, I think, is a problem if you're wanting to make laws or recruit people who are going to actually be representative of your citizens. So this past week was also Sunshine Week or Transparency Week in the state legislature. Abigail, you've been making a lot of records requests for this story. How has that been going? So I think part of the interesting part of the story is like if I want family leave policies, I essentially have to go to state workers <laughs> to get <laughs> to get these policies because the House and Senate business offices can only give things that are relevant to financial records. Um, and that's been the case in, in multiple scenarios that we've had in Lansing throughout the, the years that I've worked here. I'm thinking of, you know, particularly sexual harassment cases and the kind of scandals that have gone on in the state legislatures. You're very limited in what you can request. So there's no kind of cobbling together <laughs> 
a more cohesive narrative, you only have kind of one piece of the puzzle because so much of our state government is exempt from the Freedom of Information Act, which is incredibly frustrating to be <laughs> one of the few states that ranks as low as we do. Yeah, I believe that we, uh, on a number of report cards, have ranked worst in the nation when it comes to government transparency. Um, you know, both uh, the the governor's office and the legislature being exempt from Freedom of Information Act requests. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, some of the big stories that really uh, directly affect this. Um, you know, we're in the middle of COVID uh, in the middle of the pandemic and throughout the entire process, other members of the state capitol and you, Abigail, have talked about how it's hard to get a lot of information to really understand how decisions are being made right now. Talk a little bit about the uh, the stories that have been frustrating for you in terms of not being able to get better information, um, both from the, the governor's office and from the legislature. I think one of the standouts, you know, you mentioned during COVID has been particularly what metrics are being used to reopen things to continue to have, you know, whether it's restaurants or schools or, you know, certain activities limited in the state. And that's something that we know, you know, the science on. But in terms of actually looking at what what data sets are being used to make these decisions, we know we've heard, you know, people say that they're talking to epidemiologists in the state. And some of those calls are accessible to us, but some of those internal documents from the Department of Health and Human Services or, you know, the Whitmer administration, that's the kind of thing where, you know, we're missing that that complete picture. Abigail, you're leaving us soon. <laughs> What are some of the things that you are going to miss most about Michigan and about covering the Capitol? Oh, my gosh. I was just in the building the other day, and it is such a gorgeous Capitol building. I will definitely miss that. Um, it's just such a beautiful building. And anyone who hasn't been, you know, when when the building's more accessible to the public again, post post-COVID, I would encourage you to come come to Lansing to check it out. I think that I'll also miss uh, Michigander's love of sunshine, <laughs> particularly after the winter. <laughs> uh, I wasn't sure if we were talking metaphorically or, or literally here. Yeah, their love of transparency. <laughs> I mean, we do go nuts when the sun comes out. <laughs> yeah, their love of uh, open public record <laughs> and also going on walks <laughs> after a hard winter. Uh, it's so... So I'll definitely miss the state of Michigan. I've loved loved my time here. And I think I'll miss all the kind of characters in the Capitol as well. And, and talk about what you'll be doing in, uh, in your next uh, gig. Yeah, I'll be reporting on statewide politics in Kansas. So, you know, a little bit less of the, the day-to-day Capitol beat and um, more focused on kind of the, the broader themes of politics in Kansas at the moment. So, you know, I was really enjoyed doing that work here. I mean, when you're talking about resistance to COVID restrictions and, you know, looking into the things that kind of motivated the alleged plot against Governor Whitmer. So I'll be doing some some more of that work in Kansas and also following a couple of their big Senate and uh, gubernatorial race there as well. So 
Lots. Hopefully it's not as newsy as Michigan was in 2020, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You'd like a little break? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To close that out, what has been your favorite story to cover while you've been with WKAR? Ooh, that is a tough one. I think my one of my favorite recent stories was asking people across the state if they thought gender played a role in the alleged plot uh, to kidnap Governor Whitmer. It was very, very interesting to <laughs> see what people thought about that. And there was definitely a mixed, mixed bag of opinions that I think reflected different areas of the state and different parts of how Michigan is politically polarized. Well, again, uh, to to be um, very cliche about it, but also very sincere, Kansas's gain is Michigan's loss. Abigail Sensky, political reporter for WKAR, thanks again for joining us for one more time here on Mishmash. Thanks for having me. So one last little piece of business here, WDET, which is the radio station I work at and the one that brings you Mishmash every week uh, in the podcast form especially, uh, is in the middle of our spring fundraiser. It's a huge one for us because... We have a transmitter that needs to be replaced right now. We are trying to make sure that we are in a financial position to literally stay on the air and get our signal over the airwaves, dear podcast listeners. Uh, and <laughs> I think that it's uh, really important just to, to to maybe just talk a little bit about why you why you download this podcast every week. And it's really your contribution that makes it possible. Absolutely. I mean, Jake, you and I sort of created this podcast as a public service. And unfortunately, there there's bills that got to be paid when you're making a public service. So we want to be able to keep bringing you all of the interesting, under-the-radar, weird, kooky, uh, big-deal stuff that is going on in Lansing and explaining to you why you should care and why it's important. And in order to do that, we really need everybody to help us out, to chip in. You know, every dollar really does help. That's right. And, I mean, this podcast is something that we've been doing now for... What has it been, Shana? A year and a half? Two years as a podcast? I think at least two years as a podcast. Yeah. And and I, I think that, you know, uh, the thing that we do that it makes it special is that we're talking about issues that really matter, but in a way that is accessible and is listenable and, and, and really emphasizes what it means for your life. And I think that that's something that is worth contributing to, worth doing and, and keeping going. And uh, if you feel so inclined, you can uh, support us financially by going to WDET.org and uh, making a gift there. And we would so, so appreciate it. We we do this as a passion project um, and, uh, and we really, really appreciate you listening and uh, your support would mean the world to us. All right, that's all for Mishmash. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shayna Roth. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.